With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. I've been utterly enchanted by Walter Bruegemann's 1978 book, The Prophetic Imagination. In it, this preeminent theologian helps us understand the role of the prophet, a truth-teller whose ministry utilizes grief to criticize the dominant order. In doing so, prophets energize those suffering under brutalization and awaken us all to possibilities of life beyond what we know. It does not have to be this way. Part of what the dominant order does to us all is stilt and stunt our imaginations. Bruegemann refers to this stunted imagination as the world consciousness. Our imagination is limited in the interests of the ruling elite. Today, many of us understand that limited imagination through the imposition of gender, or the stereotypes we fight against that limit how we as black queer people can show up in the world, or the arduous but necessary conversation and organizing around abolition. Again, it does not have to be this way. In their new book, Black Trans Feminism, Marquise Bay makes clear that even the identities we've come to hold dear need to be done away with, since they have been fashioned under a limited imagination. Many of us are increasingly comfortable within these identities, myself included. But Marquise says that in the future of the Black Trans Feminist imagination, we won't be Black, or trans, or man, or woman. Marquis says we must lean into the terror of the unknown. We don't yet know what we would be because our anchor for understanding ourselves in the world is relative to the world we live in. Marquis is reluctant to accept my crowning of them as prophet in the order of Moses. But if the role of the prophet is to awaken us to possibilities beyond our imaginations and to energize us to action, then Marquis and Moses have much more in common than I'm willing to ignore. Our conversation today explores enchantment the Black trans-feminist imagination, and poets and theorists as prophets. I'm Josh Rivers, and I'm Busy Being Black with Marquise Bay. Marquise, I can't tell you what it means to have you on Busy Being Black. I have been immersed in you and your scholarship and your interviews and your videos on YouTube for the past couple of weeks and have been so mesmerized by and challenged by, I should say, um, what you're offering to the world and what I feel like you're offering to me personally. So thank you very much for accepting this invitation. 
I mean, thank you so, so much for, for having me. This is an absolute joy and delight to be here, to be in conversation and community with you. So I am so pleased and delighted. I really am. Thank you. Um, how's your heart? I knew you were going to ask this question. I still don't have a fully fledged answer to this. Um, but right now in reflecting, my heart is doing a, a few things. Uh, first, my heart is saddened um, with the recent loss of a loved one. Um, that was really, really tough. Um, but it's not a it's not a totalizing sadness, I, I want to say, uh, because I mean, the way I think about it for myself is that I'm able to be sad precisely because this loved one lived such a full life, uh, lived such a joyful uh, life uh, and was able to impact me and others in such a way um, to privilege me, in fact, with a kind of sadness, uh, not of their loss, but as living in their wake. I think I'm also feeling quite content. Uh, my heart is feeling quite content. Uh, and I use that word precisely as opposed to something like happiness, uh, which is not to denigrate happiness, but contentment for me feels a bit more muted uh, and robust uh, than a kind of excitement or happiness. Uh, and, I, and I love that. I really love that, that feeling of being content, uh, that things are okay, that things are okay with me, uh, with my people, uh, with others. Uh, so I'm feeling content as well. So that's how my heart is feeling right now. I think we do contentment a disservice in the mm -hmm. pursuit of, in a kind of uh, enforced pursuit of, happiness which is always kind of which is sold to us right that oh. happiness is this thing that we can achieve and actually we we pursue it almost so doggedly mm -hmm. um and we miss these moments of contentment when we realize that we have everything we need that Absolutely. we are feeling relatively good and i think relatively good i'm i'm learning is is quite good <laughs> it's good enough for me <laughs> Very, very much so. And for me, it's, it's very much a practice too. It's not something that simply happens, but it's something that I work at and work with, uh, with myself, with others, with loved ones. Uh, so it's something that I'm always trying to engage in certain kinds of ways that kind of contentment. Can I draw you out on grief just briefly? I, mm -hmm. Only because I was just talking to a friend earlier about her own grief, mm -hmm. sorry, their own grief. And um, I said to, to them, that when I think of grief, I think of Elizabeth Gilbert always, primarily, mm -hmm. and her understanding that grief is a tsunami, and that mm -hmm. you have to be willing to be rocked by mm -hmm. grief, mm -hmm. and to let yourself be completely awash, or mm -hmm. subject to grief's whims, like you just don't have any control over grief, and I, and I wonder if you feel the same, or if you might offer or what you might offer to listeners who might be experiencing their own tsunamis right now? Well, for sure. I mean, grief is grief is a hell of a thing. It really, really is. Uh, and for me, I take solace, uh, if we can call it that, uh, and something that Toni Morrison said, who is just amazing in all things that she has done and continues to do, even in her passing, um, that I want to feel what I feel, even if it's not happiness. Uh, and grief mm -hmm. very much comes along in that. Uh, so I want to feel that grief. I absolutely want to feel that grief. Um, I'm not at all interested in running from these feelings, uh, but rather, how do I sit with it in a complex way? How do I sit with this grief uh, such that it's not simply grief that's there, but it's accompanied by a whole bunch of other 
things and how do those things have, how do those emotions, those affects have a conversation, have a rap session, sit with one another uh, and emerge into this really complex and complicated feeling uh, that might not always look like it's expected to look, um, but how do I honor that uh, and simply sit with it? I really want to try to do that, not force anything, but sit with these things in a way that's in a way that's intentional. Um, so how can I do that is something that when experiencing grief as I am currently and as I've long been been feeling, I want to always try to sit with that and see what else is there, uh, what's it telling me, uh, and how is it making me feel. Do you have a practice that um, helps you sit in that complexity of life, that helps you attempt? I do. Uh, I have a few practices, I suppose. Uh, one is writing, of course. Uh, I guess that's why I write so damn much because I, I'm very much always trying to sit with these things. I'm, I skew toward introversion very, very much too. So I'm someone who's incredibly internal. Uh, and for me, my writing allows me to sift through all those things, those feelings, those ideas, those thoughts. Um, so I very much am someone who writes. I don't like journal as many people do. For me, it's very much I collect ideas, uh, or rather I'm gifted with ideas from a whole variety of sources, and then try to sit with those things and try to think about how they emerge through me, my experiences, my other ideas and thoughts and feelings, etc. Uh, so for me, writing is very much a practice that I that I take up to, to try to sit with these things. And I think also, as I said, I skew toward introversion. So I'm not someone who is around a lot of people or likes to be around a lot of people, but I have my people uh, and the people who I trust. Uh, and that's taken so long. That's taken a lot of time. And so if I find someone who I've been able to to sit with or who I feel comfortable sitting with that is someone who I go and I sit with them and, and that does not have to look like anything in particular it can look like simply us sitting down watching tv uh, simply being in proximity to one another it can look like a very full-fledged three and a half hour conversation as I've done many many times with my partner about various kinds of things difficult conversations but necessary conversations uh, and fruitful conversations too loving and intimate conversations so I do that as well uh, and I think also I'm also someone who likes to just sit in silence too uh, I'm someone who very much wants to if I'm driving for an hour and two hours something like that I'm someone who I I like podcasts and music and all of that, but sometimes I just sit there with thoughts, with ideas um, to try to sift through them, see what they might tell me, how they might emerge within me, how I might feel about them. So those are, I guess, just some of my practices. I'm, I'm sure I have others that are not coming to mind right now, but those are the ones that come most immediately and readily to mind. The thing I think about is how terrifying it can be to be with our own thoughts, right? Mm -hmm. Particularly when we're under duress. <laughs> You know, um, I'm a hedonist. I believe I have on my stomach. I have tattooed jouissance, right? Like, I which is both the uh, the literal French word, but also the, the Lacanian psychoanalytic theory about per the pursuit of pleasure beyond the pleasure principle. But which I found in um, an essay in Tim Dean's anthology Raw: The Pedagogy of Barebacking. Like, I'm pretty intense, and so I just I really identify with this, this hedonism, with this, which is kind of, which borders on escapism, right? Because mm -hmm. I am also a deeply sensitive person, not as introverted. Um, and so I bound around the world and I encounter ideas and magic and wonderful people, but I also feel 
the injustice of the world and um, the inequality and people's hurt, right? And mm -hmm. insults, I feel those when other people experience them and it pains me. And sometimes this hedonism borders on a, you know, self-destructive escape because it's so hard, I yeah. think, to encounter all of that and to also make space for our hopes and our dreams and our imaginations. Yeah, it's very hard to encounter all of that. And I'm, I'm someone who sometimes has a hard time feeling with other people. Uh, and the route I try to take is to to try to ask them questions. I'm an incredibly curious person, incredibly curious person, but I also have to be careful not to overstep certain kinds of boundaries or be intrusive when I ask them these questions. So I try to demonstrate a kind of compassion and genuineness when I ask these questions. This is not simply me trying to extract something from you, but rather how can I sit with you together in this thing that might be incredibly interior to you? How can, can, how can we think about this, feel about this together? Um, will you invite me in to, to feel and think this thing with you is what I try to convey with them as a, as a practice of as a practice of coalition, uh, the practice of community um, and, and being being with other people, as Alexis Pauline Gums would say, a kind of being with that I really, really love to, to try to do with others uh, when I'm invited into that kind of space. I just recently started reading Walter Buegeman's The Prophetic Imagination. Do you, are you aware of it? I'm not. I'm not. So for you and for listeners, in 1978, Walter Buegeman, who's one of our preeminent theologians, our in the West, um, preeminent theologians, writes the prophetic imagination. And it's effectively a recasting or a reinterpretation of the role of the prophet. Mm -hmm. And so he takes the stories from the Bible, Moses being the exemplary uh, prophet, right? Because what Regiman is saying is that there is a royal consciousness. The king's perception, wants, desires become all we can think is possible for the world. And the world consciousness naturally, necessarily stultifies and stunts the imagination, right? It makes us accept, endure, even begrudgingly, what the king wants for all of us, which is never what we can possibly be, right? Mm -hmm. it, it's, never our, it's never us at our fullest. Mm -hmm. And so Brueggemann says that prophets like Moses come in to cultivate, energize, criticize, galvanize a, an alternative community. This alternative community is charged with disrupting and dismantling um, and disappearing this royal consciousness, with waking up, with saying, mm -hmm. we have much more to life than, than what the king says we can have. As I was reading this, I thought about Essex Hemphill and Marlon Riggs and Asado Saint and um, D. Reuben Kelly and these poets slash prophets who offers who offered what Bruggeman would call a prophetic criticism. A prophetic criticism isn't a lamentation, it's a cry, right? It's it's how the Israelites, Israelites cried out to God, right? Cried out to Moses to say, liberate us from this look and liberate us. <laughs> And so I began, you know, looking at these poems again, afresh, anew, and thinking, God, these, our elders, our ancestors were offering prophetic criticisms. They were trying to wake us all up, and they are still doing so in the afterlife. And so then I encountered this conversation that same week with you mm -hmm. and Alexis Pauline Gums, and was like, doesn't Alexis do this? Isn't yeah. Alexis a prophetic critic? But also, aren't you, mm -hmm. right? Aren't you also? 
calling us out of our slumber. Oh, thank you for that. That is that is high praise. It really, really is. I understand myself not as a prophet necessarily, uh, but a curator of prophecies. In fact, uh, I'm someone. Who <laughs> the- <laughs> oh, just lit me up. <laughs> like that I encounter and have encountered and will continue to encounter. I would imagine so many amazing ideas and experiences that for me, I just want to try to. I grow weary and tired of the word amplify uh, for various reasons, uh, but I'm going to use it here just just as a as a stand-in. Uh, but I try to amplify all those things. So I'm less someone who is doing the prophesizing and very much trying to curate all of these amazing, wonderful prophecies that other people have 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 spouted uh, in some beautifully mellifluous ways. Uh, so that's that's all I'm really trying to do, uh, just curate a whole bunch of incredible ideas that I find incredibly meaningful uh, and impactful and to try to convey that to to other people. Well, I would say you're more than a curator. I mean, one, a curator of prophecies is such a wonderful turn of phrase, right? Like that really lit me up as you saw, but you write in them goon rules, quote, the life of my mind, my intimate, my private past is, as any feminist worth their salt will tell you, deeply political. Mm-hmm. I want to speak from that private underground place where sinners dwell, where mm-hmm. sin as a transgressive act against divine law is what is shared between us, where we keep open secrets of queer conspiracies whispered on underground rooftops, where we use vernacular, words that break free of grammar, grammar's lexical dictates. Our den of sin, as it were, our promiscuous and shadowy presence preserves a space for stowaways to be and choose to be stowed. This is fugitive coalition, fugitive kinship. This shadowy, I can't stop smelling, this shadowy stowaway presence reminiscent of wrecked ships, which is to say ships we have brought wrecked to, hello, Mm -hmm. is the knowledge and livelihood of fugitivity. That energizes and awakens, or it certainly has for me, and I imagine it, it will for others. I appreciate that. I, I, so I do remember writing that, but that is, that is some damn good writing. I have to say. It really I mean, is. <laughs> I love that so, so much. Oh, wow. That is, that's good. I really like that. I need to actually reread my own stuff sometimes. I'm so, I'm, I'm one of those people who like hates to reread their own writing uh, because I, I always find it like I could have done that better, but that like those sentences right there, that was good. That was good. I like that. I like that. Oh, so I have another talk. one for you. Hold on. I have another one for you. It is the fugitivity that I love. It's escapeful curves. It's troublesome elusiveness. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, it helps how I read it, of course. Oh, but of course, I mean, the, the words, the essence, the passion is yours. And that's what Brew Eggman's calling us to as well, right? Is that we are depassioned. Right. Mm. Actively, vigorously, rigorously, consistently depassioned, right? We forget that passion is the thing that animates us, that could animate us. Yeah. And well, I think I'll that's what I'm, what I'm drawn to in your writing is it's it is impassioned writing. Mm-hmm. Very much so. Very much. I will I will humbly, humbly take the compliment of of prophesizing. Uh, because that is, yeah, I mean, I think, I think, I think that's incredibly profound uh, that we're deep passion very much so very very much so and for me I I do not want to lose that passion I really really don't uh, and that can be passionate about a whole range of things uh, but I don't want to lose that because that is very much what animates us it's very much what allows me to emerge and and do the things and say the things and think the things that I 
feel are, are necessary. It's because I feel this sense of passion, this sense of urgency uh, to, to say these things, because if they're not said, then there's something that's not being done, something that's not being felt. And I want to make sure that I proliferate as much as possible the feeling and doing of these things that to me are necessary to feel and do. You say that you want to trouble, that you want to mm -hmm. trouble us. And that really stood out to me because as we will know, as listeners will know, we are already troubled, <laughs> right? We're already living um, lives under siege as mm -hmm. stowaways on ships that we haven't yet wrecked to quote you. And so what's the difference between the trouble you hope to stir up and the trouble we're already living through? Really good question. I think for me, there may very well be more here, but what's happening to my mind uh, and to my words right now is that one of the distinctions between the siege that is always and already being laid toward us, on us, around us, uh, is that the distinction I want to make is one that troubles us out of understanding that siege, that duress, as our lot, I suppose, as natural mm -hmm. as right. always going to be here. Um, so I do not, we are incredibly familiar with this, incredibly familiar, especially as Black and queer and trans people, incredibly familiar with that duress, uh, with that violence and that harm, uh, to the point where sometimes it may seem that this is just the way things are. I want to trouble us outside of that. I want to trouble our imaginations uh, to think about what else is possible. Because for me, I, I so deeply, so, so deeply want to and always want to imagine what else might be possible. This is what a whole bunch of Black studies, Black feminist scholars uh, talk about as the otherwise. I so very deeply want to imagine and think about and enact the otherwise. And so if this is the lay of the land currently, if this is the very grounds on which coloniality, white supremacy, cis heteropatriarchy are founded upon, then I want to trouble our imagination to think about something else entirely, something that is something else that's possible and perhaps impossible precisely because the parameters of our existence right now dictate what is possible. Uh, so how can we then think about all those other things that have been expunged from the very possibility of existence of reality, etc. So I want to trouble our imagination outside of what we even think is possible. I mean, you've troubled me <laughs> 100%. Um, in Black trans feminism, I was, um, you used the word unmoored. Mm -hmm. how, do we, how do we become unfixed and unmoored? Yeah. Yeah. And when I tell you that I was literally terrified mm. and I spoke about this with, in my conversation with Dilemma, I was like, I get, I get it. I get it. <laughs> I'm, re I'm reading Guy Auchengem from 1968 and I'm reading Mario Miele from 1974 and I'm reading, you know, Kathy J. Cohen and E. Patrick Johnson. I've got Quare tattooed on my neck. Like, oh. I get it intellectually. Like, I understand. But I'm so comfortable in who I am, right? I'm so comfortable. Not I'm so comfortable in who I am. I'm so comfortable with the idea that I'm a Black gay man. And in <laughs> fact, I put so much energy and effort into owning this identity so fully and so wholly and so fulsomely, right? I, I think blackness and gayness together is so fecund and fertile. And it's, it's I worship at the altar of black blackness and gayness, but as you make clear, these fixed identity categories are not enough. And in mm -hmm. fact, not only are they not enough, they're actually quite limiting. They don't allow us 
to move beyond what we need to in order to get to where we're going or where we ought to be. Yeah. yeah. And I want to say, and I'm sure we'll talk more about this because I have many, many words uh, about the fixity of identity categorizations and all of that. I can talk at length and ad nauseum about all of that. Um, but I think what I want to say, and I've said this to a few other people who have responded precisely to the sentiment that you're that you're raising right now, is that that's okay. Like, that's okay. I am so uninterested in telling people you need to think this thing that I think. I'm not interested in that. What I'm interested in very much so is come along in this ride with me. I want to invite you into this journey. And if you get off halfway through, that's cool. You were here. You were here and you felt something with us. You were here with us in this space um, doing something. And if you get off halfway through, okay, cool. We are glad you were here. There are other people who will stay and we will do some things too with that. Uh, there are some people who will almost get there and then get off right before we get to the end, if there even is an end. And that's okay too. For me, it's about, it's about that journey, which sounds incredibly cliche, huh? but it's, it is deeply about, about that journey, about being together, being with one another on these, in these different kinds of adventures, these different kinds of uh, thought experiments uh, and musings and all that kind of stuff. So it's okay. Uh, we will be there holding one another's hand uh, and as philosophers past would say, staring into the abyss. Uh, and if you need to go of my hand, that's okay too. But know that there is someone that there are some ones there holding your hand with you are not by yourself in this. And so you can you can express those insecurities, those fears, those terrors. Uh, you can express all those things and it will be okay. That is the thing I really want to get across to people that it's okay. We're scared, we're terrified. But it's all good because we're we're not in this alone. We're not in this by ourselves. But there are other people. There are other accomplices here with us, doing it up and doing doing different kinds of things that that might be possible. Because you might be terrified only at the possibilities of you quite literally actually for the first time being that kind of free. That's the thing that perhaps is most terrifying. And I want us to be here together in that. Well, I think for me the terrifying is the unknown, right? Mm -hmm. Like. Mm -hmm. And to Bruegemann's point, and to Alexis Pauline Gums, and to your point, and to Jaina Brown's point, right? That yeah. there, there is a criticizing to energize, to reawakening, to mm. reawaken that must happen, right? And so when I understand, when I encounter your work as troublesome, it's not negatively troublesome, it's oh shit and troublesome right like it's like oh man fuck you what a great point you know and I think that was where I was when I read that I was like they are so right they're mm -hmm. so right and I've known this of course like I've I've known this somewhere inside and they've just articulated it in a way that means I have to confront it I have to do something with it and I think what terrifies me is that I don't know what to do next do I paint my nails mm -hmm. because I, I you know I already believe in act and Polit political solidarity with everybody mm -hmm. else right well for the most part i'm still working on it oh, it's perfect sure. like what next you know when you imagine yourself can you imagine yourself in a future and what does that self look like mm -hmm. oh, like can a, you see that for yourself it's an amazing question and the very short answer is no i cannot uh, right. and also i'm not feeling like, this I don't want to because that would foreclose all the other things I might have been uh, were it not for me trying to pin down what I might be or what others might be. I want that to be treacherously open. Uh, like I want to be unable to imagine the possibilities for, for myself, for us um, to the point where 
myself and us are terms that don't even really mean very much um, because they, they already presuppose something. Uh, so how can I, in fact, not imagine or not think of what I will be in this world after the world, we might say. Uh, so how can I, in fact, be open to be open to being undone? Uh, and that is, that's so scary. It really, really is. I'm still not good at doing that because also I very much have a sense of myself as this kind of person, uh, as this kind of being. Uh, and I, and I like that. And I, and I've gone to, gone at length to, to try to construct what that is. Uh, but I really do want to, and think it's necessary for myself to be open to being undone in all ways possible, um, such that it's a that such that I am able, whoever that I is, such that I'm able to to be radically other than what I am, because that might in fact be the first time that I've been free, that I've been at home, if that even if is a term that we want to use. That I felt like, yeah, this is this is it. This is something that that is worth it. Uh, so I want to try to be open to all of those kinds of things. I don't want to foreclose any of that, even though it's going to be terrifying as shit. It absolutely will there's no getting around that but I want to try to open myself to open myself up to that terror because that might be the first time that I feel a deep deep sense of joy of freeness I mean there's a this idea Hartman quote that I quote in the black trans feminism book uh, in which she, I don't I don't I don't even know where the original quotation is this is actually a quote of that quote uh, from a very obscure PDF um, that Frank Wilderson is doing an interview in, and I have thoughts about Frank Wilderson too, as every person in Black Studies must know <laughs> about Frank Wilderson. Um, but he quotes Idea Hartman saying that in the context of Black liberation, and I understand this very much too, in the context of Black trans feminism, that it will make us freer than we actually want to be. Yes, and that, I heard that. I, I feel that so deeply. I feel that so, so deeply because uh, I, I think I want to be free uh, and I imagine other people very much want to be free. What is that imagination of freeness or how is that imagination of freeness being clipped and circumscribed by various things? How can we in fact be freer than we think we want to be? I want to try to aspire toward that as terrifying as it will be. I want to try to aspire toward that. And I try to glimpse that in the things that I, that I write and think in feel and experience with other people. Busy Being Black returns in just a moment. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say, your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Turns and conditions apply. I'm Josh Rivers, and you're listening to Busy Being Black. Today, I'm in conversation with Marquise Bay. Marquise is Assistant Professor of African American Studies at Northwestern University, and they've released two books this year, Black Transfeminism and System Failure, both published by Duke University Press. And so just to clarify two points, the first is that we're not necessarily, in, in your work and the work of our elders and ancestors that, that you cite and, and invoke and, and bring into conversation with you, um, in your work, isn't necessarily to unmoor ourselves with a destination, 
It's to unmoor ourselves completely so that we might decide in situ on the go, on the move, where we might be going. Is that right? Exactly, exactly. This is okay. without at all the presumption of a final destination. There's no presumption of a final destination. There can be no final destination, but rather we can unmoor ourselves and we ought to perhaps unmoor ourselves um, without the presumption that there will be an end point to that unmooring. So we understand that we have to let go at some point of these fixed identities, right? That it's okay that where we are now is where we are now. But as long as we know that at some point we have to let go of them, <laughs> then we're on the right track. So in this future where we wouldn't need to buttress ourselves in our allegiance to identities fashioned and polished under duress, um, you're not saying we must forego the teachings of blackness and transness or queerness that make it possible for us to survive right now and indeed agitate towards the future, right? Correct. Yeah, very correct. Very, very Fine. correct. So then how do we take what we learn under duress and use that to make the future we deserve without also holding on to the things that got us there? Mm -hmm. mm, I do not have a good answer to this. I want to be honest. <laughs> I don't have a good answer to this. I don't want to be one of those people that just kind of bullshits an answer. I'm not, I'm not interested in doing that. Uh, so my answer to this is very insufficient. What I will say as a partial response is that the things that we've learned under duress uh, and under various kinds of violences and terrors um, are not are not encapsulated by those violences and terrors. Um, so we we kind of get uh, we get resources from those things from those experiences that are not defined by those experiences. Mm -hmm. uh, and utilizing, okay. utilizing those resources in service of the overturning of those of those scenarios that have that have uh orchestrated the violences and harm and harms that have that betide us that continue to betide us so for me i'm understanding these experiences as absolutely um being treacherous experiences um, but they are not defined by that treacherousness um, but we we operate within those things. Uh, that it, this is, as someone like C. Riley Snorton would say, this is uh, capacity under captivity. And that capacity that we have, even amidst this captivity, is something that can unleash different kinds of things that were not determined by this captivity. Because the captivity, the normativity, the coloniality, all those things, they attempt to totalize our realities, they attempt to totalize our experiences uh, and our being, uh, and yet they cannot, they never can, which is why I'm always perpetually hopeful, fugitively hopeful, as I say in the conclusion mm. of the Black Trans Feminism book, um, because they are not totalizing. And so if there is this capacity underneath this captivity or within this captivity, then for me, I'm deeply curious always about what that ca capacity can do and does. And this is, again, I, I quote people, incite people a lot. This is not name dropping. I want to make that clear. But this is simply pay paying homage to those who have gifted thoughts and ideas to me. Yes, absolutely. That uh, part... Yes. yes. That's, that's why, Doesn't that's why it drive you so crazy when you hear someone talking and you're like, go on, say their name, and they don't do it. Yes, yes. yes. So I'm simply trying to I'm simply trying to, to, to pay homage to, to those who have gifted me ideas and thoughts and experiences. So this is also akin to someone like Judith Butler, for example, uh, who notes that um that there is a that there's a sense of of working the trap that we are inevitably in. 
How do we work that trap? How do we demonstrate a capacity within this trap? Those are the things that I'm always curious about. I'm much less interested, maybe to my detriment, maybe to other people's chagrin. I'll take that. Um, but I'm much less interested in the structures that curtail us anti-Blackness, white supremacy, cis heteropatriarchy, et cetera. And I'm much interested in the, the capacity and the working that we do, W-E-R-Q, working that, that we right. do. So how can we, how can we emphasize those things and amplify those kinds of things? That's I think very much the tenor of my the tenor of my work and emphasis on those things rather than the structures that hem us. Yeah, and I've just realized that what I was trying to do with that question unintentionally, obviously, um, was to try to try to get you to give me a path. <laughs> right. I was trying to get you to tell me how to do it. And that you can't do that, right? Yeah, yeah, there's no path. And that's, I think that's the beautiful thing too. I, I really do think that's the beautiful thing. There's no predetermined set path. And so we can go wherever, we can go wherever. And we don't know necessarily where that, that will, where that will lead us. Uh, and that's so cool to me. That's so cool. As, as simplistic as that sound, that is very, very cool to me. I, I have to tell you, I, I personally love the word cool, but the reason I love it so much is have you seen True Romance, the 1992 film with Patricia Arquette? Oh my gosh, it's fantastic. So spoiler alert, um, at the end, so it's about this kind of torrid love affair between a sex worker and this guy who works at a video store who has this kind of enduring and abiding love for Elvis. <gasps> and they they fall in love quickly, and passionately, and it's the type of romance you you dream about in your head, right? That you want someone to be so utterly, well, me at least, I'm an heiress. <laughs> you want someone to be so completely and utterly obsessed with you that they just cannot live without you, right? They need to be by your side the whole time. They get matching tattoos, and they steal drugs from a drug dealer, and they go on a cross-country spree. And they're trying to sell these drugs to this, like, big Hollywood exec. The FBI gets involved. Yeah. This whole thing goes tits up. And he gets shot. Christian Slater gets shot, his character. And in the voiceover at the end, Patricia, Patricia Arquette's character is saying, Alabama, um, is saying, and as you were laying there bleeding, three words were running through my head. You're so cool. You're so <laughs> cool. <You're> so cool. <laughs> and I was like, I want that for myself. So I really do love the word cool. <laughs> I love that. I, love that. I need to see. I need to see this now. Actually, I need to see this movie now. Oh my god, Patricia Arquette is incredible. Mm, like, okay. she's fantastic, and it's just—it's actually such a. It's just a perfect film. I honestly, I, it's one of my top five favorite films of all time. I absolutely love it. Okay. Okay, um, I took us on a bit of a detour, but I had to explain to you that cool is a very cool word. <laughs> I love that. I love that. I love detours are the most exciting part of the journey. So okay, cool. Yeah, we have a pit stop for some gas. Oh yeah. I have found myself increasingly recently noticing how easily enchanted I am. And I don't know if it's because I'm I'm pursuing enchantment subconsciously or if I'm living a life that makes the little boy inside me light up a bit more but I am very enchanted at the minute mm -hmm. and I'm curious about what enchants other people and so in the course of my research for this conversation I realized that people don't ask you these types of questions about what makes you curious or more pointedly to our conversation what enchants you damn I love that I love that so much because so much enchants me and yet nothing is coming immediately to mind Perhaps that's because so much enchants me. What enchants me? Oh. 
okay, yeah, I have a, a few things that, that enchant me. Huh? And they're all, I think the, the thread throughout all these things that enchant me are how mundane they are. Uh, and mm -hmm. I, I, I love that, the quotidian, uh, the everyday. It doesn't have to be spectacular, but it's just something subtle and small, perhaps even muted, that enchants me. Uh, so I think the first thing that enchants me uh, and that perhaps will enchant me for the rest of my life is my partner, um, who they're someone who finds so much joy in so many different kinds of things, uh, which is so you know, enlivening to me, invigorating even to me, uh, so much joy. And also the, the kinds of, the kind of intimacy we can have in the subtle things, in the muted and quiet things, is something that always enchants me and allows me to, to continue. Uh, I think that's, that's the number one thing that enchants me. I think what also enchants me is, so I live, I live, um, in the northwest suburbs of, of Chicago, uh, and we live we live with, and I've been constantly trying to continue to say we live with uh, three acres of land instead of on three acres of land. Mm. Uh, and and I'm 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 someone who has come from and lived in cities for my entire life, and to be uh, with this much land is very different to me. But I'm so enchanted by so many things that I've experienced. Even even though I will say I need to be honest that like digging for like five hours is not fun that's not cute uh, and I don't want to do that um, but just like being able to to walk and walk and walk uh, amidst trees I remember the first snow we had here uh, and my partner and I this is another thing that enchants me about them uh, but we just kind of walked and walked for it was about a mile and a half behind our home uh, and the snow was very lightly falling and I got so chills doesn't even cover it um, but there's a reverberation there was a reverberation within me that was just like this is so fucking cool like this is amazing like this is this is the thing that like poets write about and are inspired by and so being able to to live with uh and to and to commune really with 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 land uh with with non-human animals with non-human entities has been incredibly cool to me as well, incredibly meaningful uh, and impactful to me as well. Um, and I think also the last thing I'll say is to be able to, I find myself very often enchanted as I guess is my want, uh, enchanted by ideas uh, that, I, that I encounter. Uh, so just reading, just reading a book. I literally just started reading um, Denise Ferreira da Silva's new book, Unpayable Debt, that just came out. I've been waiting so long. It got delayed and pushed back so many times and it finally is out. And I've been so enchanted by the ideas that she conveys in that. Uh, and just the ideas too that I get from other people, from from Fred Moten, from Kathy Cohen, from C. Riley Snorton, uh, from all these other wonderful, from Susan Stryker, Judith Butler, all these incredible, wonderful people, James Baldwin, I find myself always returning to. And like, that makes me so, there are a few things that bring me that kind of joy to be gifted with an idea that I had not thought about before, or that uh, makes me think and feel something different. It literally, it can literally change my life to be impacted by this idea. I remember the first time, this is a super academic thing for me to say, um, but I remember when I was first encountered by Fred Moten's understanding of the paraontological distinction. I, I, I was in the second semester of my first year of grad school uh, and I, it was a 21st century African-American literature course with Margot Natalie Crawford. And 
I was electrified, absolutely electrified. Like, yeah, this is like, I'm, I don't really understand all the other stuff that you're saying, but this hits different to me. Like, this is something that I'm going to be living with this for the rest of my life. Uh, and that's, as I said, this is an incredibly academic thing of me to say, but that's the impact that ideas have for, for me. Uh, I, I love being gifted with those kinds of things because they actually literally change how I move in the world, how I inhabit spaces and relationships with other people. So I I am a different person. I'm a different entity. I it's possible for me to do and feel and be different precisely because I was gifted with that idea. So I'm enchanted so, so much by ideas that, that emerge for me. Uh, so those are, I think, just a few things that are enchanting me. There are um, a host of others that are enchanting me, but those are the things that come most immediately to mind. And to watch you and to hear you light up talking about those things is so filling to me like I I, I could just combust <laughs> I love that I'm so glad um to close I I normally ask my guests the same question what do you hope for but the question I want to ask you is what have you learned about yourself that you want to share with other people mm, what have I learned about myself one thing that comes to mind for me about what I've learned about myself is how do I want to say that? I want to try to say this as precisely as possible, that I want to be and think it's important to be as trite and cliche as it sounds, but I think it's important to be okay with who one is and who one is always becoming. I want to, I want to say that as well. Um, so this is, this is very much as like, be okay with yourself, like that kind of thing. But for me, it feels deeper than that. It feels much deeper than than simply that. To me, it's it signifies a kind of there are there are ways that I move in relation to to others, uh, and I want I want others to to heed that, to accept that, to acknowledge that, um, to note that that their world is not the world. Um, mm. That other ways <laughs> to be uh, in the world and. To note that, I guess this is the kind of a uh, yearning for people's partiality, um, that you do not define the world, nor do I define the world, but how can we understand one another's understanding and inhabitation of the world as, as coalescing in certain kinds of ways, as maybe sometimes clashing, but to, to, to note that that these things are all part of how different people inhabit the world. Uh, so for me, I've learned that it's okay. It's, and I say that exhaustedly I say that joyfully and I say that steadfastly that it's okay for me and others to to be this way in other ways when those those ways arise as simple as that perhaps sounds that's where that's what I most profoundly learned about myself Marquise I am literally vibrating right now <laughs> and lit up like a light bulb mm -hmm. thank you for um, going down this enchanting garden path with me <laughs> and for cavorting around with me. I am really supremely grateful to have learned more about you and to understand more about the person behind this rigorous, troubling, imaginative, forward-dawning theory. Um, and I'm really grateful that you believe enough in yourself 
and in us and in the people who came before that you take this brave steps to put what you believe out into the world because you have enchanted me and sorcelled me. You've, you've made me see more of my own magic. So thank you. Well, thank you for inviting me into this enchanted cavorting and communing. I really deeply, deeply appreciate this. Uh, I will not be the same after this conversation and I have you to thank for that. So thank you so, so much. I really appreciate it. Marquise Bay is Assistant Professor of African American Studies at Northwestern University. Their books, Black Transfeminism and System Failure, are available now from Duke University Press. Busy Being Black is an exploration and expression of queer liveliness. And my guests are those who have learned to live, love, and thrive at the intersection of their identities. Your support of the show means the world. Please leave a rating and a review and share these conversations far and wide. As we continue to work towards futures worthy of us all, my hope is that as many of you as possible understand Busy Being Black as a soft, tender, and intellectually rigorous place for you all to land. Thank you to my friend Lazarus Lynch for creating the ancestral and enlivening Busy Being Black theme music. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.